Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Do I Still Love It? The podcast that remembers who Stick Stickly is. He was around for about a year on Nickelodeon. Yeah, I gotta admit, I don't, like, remember He was the host of the Nickelodeon after-school programming block for about a year, I think, on Nickelodeon. He was a popsicle stick. He was, importantly, he was a a popsicle stick with with googly eyes. Googly eyes. Okay, okay, yes. And he always talked like this. Yeah, okay. He talked a little bit like Mr. Bill. He's a bit of a Mr. Bill ripoff, really. (laughs) He, He looked a little stupid. Uh, but yeah, so we're that podcast, uh, the podcast that takes a nostalgic look back on things from our childhood, specifically television and movies, that we love to see whether or not it holds up now that we're adults. I'm Marshall James. And I'm Laura Weiss. And this week, our special guest that is over to watch the movie with us is Becca Cousineau. Hello. Hi, Becca. Thank you for coming over on the show. And thank you for suggesting today's film, An American Tale, from 1986. Yes. Is it really from that old? Yeah, yeah, yeah. ago. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it yeah. was a it was a film by Don Bluth, who was like a major animation rival to Disney during the. And he was also 80s. Uh, Land Before Time and the uh, Re- Brave Little Toaster, the Secret Rescuers? of Nim. No, the Rescuers no? was Disney. Oh, so the Rescuers ripped off the Don Bluth style for. No. No, actually, Do the I, Rescuers. Am I the, this wrong in my head? Yeah, the Rescuers okay. was actually partially responsible for an American tale. Steven Spielberg wanted an American tale to be an all animal world, but Don Bluth had just seen the Rescuers, thought the Rescuers was fantastic, and was like, no, 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 they should be talking animals in a human world. Mm. And uh, and so that's part of the reason why, in my mind, I like to imagine that the Rescuers and an American tale exist in the same world. Nice. Um, in the same. What about world? Dory and Nemo? Oh, well, but see, they're talking animals, oh, but they don't Disney. wear clothes. Yeah. Uh, okay, so humanoid. Right. Humanoid like, Dory animals. could exist in the world with, like, Aristocats and 101 Dalmatians, where the animals behave relatively like animals. And they have the same relationship with humans. Exactly. Whereas, like, in The Rescuers and in American Tale, we have animals who are walking upright and they're wearing clothes. Like, Cinderella <laughs> could be in the same universe. So you're telling me that Bojack Horseman is also Ooh. in this universe. Now, see, now, Bojack Horseman, we have, like, a human-sized, like, like crabs and stuff wearing turtlenecks. Not not exactly the so same. So that is like a nuclear bomb version of like, just exploded to the nth degree. <laughs> I, no, like, I, under, I understand where you're going with that. Yeah, 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 where yeah. it's just it's suddenly there are there are dogs that are that have human fingers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Exactly. And horses Opposable who have human thumbs. fingers and yeah. human feet. The first time you see Bojack Horseman without shoes on is somewhat disturbing. I guess I thought he would have hooves. But back to the wholesome days of <laughs> right. the Don Bluth films. We're going to be watching an American Tale. So, Becca, why don't you tell us what you remember the plot of an American Tale being? So, I chose this movie because this is one of the movies that I actually remember loving as a child, but I've definitely not seen. Perfect. So She I, did the assignment well. Yeah. Yes. I definitely have not seen since probably the age of seven or eight. I remember the plot being about a little boy, not a mouse, a little boy is how I saw him, Uh, as stowaway coming to America and befriending a seagull and trying to find his sister. That's as much as I remember. And now as an adult, like thinking back on it, I think he was like a Jewish from a, a Jew from Russia. Yeah. I was coming back, and he was a stowaway on a boat, like, snuck his way into a boat, and is an illegal immigrant. I thought it would be fun to watch again. Totally. 
Uh, it'll be interesting to revisit it because I do remember that the themes of them being Russian Jewish immigrant mice being like a really important you know sticking point about the the plot. And so this is like very much a, what do you a mean tale. sticking point? Is well, like just, an important piece of the plot? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Like okay. that that this is a kind of like telling kids the Ellis Island got it age of immigration in America, like you know from uh, from Russia and Europe that kind of Russian and European immigration wave that happened in America going through Ellis Island I distinctly kind of remember thinking that that's what an American tale was about was like we're gonna follow this mouse family so that kids can learn about immigration well it's also interesting thinking about like what you're saying right now the title of the story an American tale ooh you're right yeah that is an American can tell, right? And also a tail. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Coming out of the butt. Right. <laughs> it's where tails come from. It's where tails come from. Uh, yeah, so I, I didn't think about that either. That's, yeah. That we're a nation of immigrants. Yeah. Vice or otherwise. <laughs> right. If anything, now is the time for an American tale to really underline the American part of the title of the movie. That's a good point. I would never have thought of that. What about you, Laura? What do you remember from Honestly, this this movie... I remember visual. I remember it in visual only, and I and I remember the music, mm-hmm. and that's it. I remember liking this this a lot. But to be honest, had anyone ever asked me what it's about, I'd just be like mice trying to find their family. That was all I knew. Uh-huh. So yeah, it'll be interesting to kind of see. Yeah, you know, there's there's uh, just a couple things I do really remember. I do remember that it's there is some sort of monster mouse at some point in the movie and i can't remember if it's a if it's a dream sequence or if it's some sort of plot device but at some point there is some truly terrifying monster mouse monster mouse that's probably a rat or oh perhaps a rat. i don't know i'm just guessing but there's some sort of monstrous rat or rodent-like creature as you say, that monster. as a little kid, a mouster, <laughs> a monster. <laughs> a monster! It did the mouse. Thank did you. the monster mouse. mouse. I have been sitting here <laughs> singing that in my head for the last 45 seconds, trying so hard not to interrupt you so that I didn't throw you off by singing, we did the mouse. We did, we did the, the monster mouse. mouse. Yeah. Yeah, but there's some sort of monster mouse that shows up at some point. And the other thing I remember is uh, Dom DeLuise does the voice of Tiger the Cat. And I remember the cat's name is Tiger because I, as a petulant little kid, argued that tigers, the striped animal, were not tigers. That tigers were orange cats because this orange cat's name is Tiger. Ah, So uh, it took me a long time to realize that, like, orange cats were not tigers. I think it's weird that we started singing the Monster Mouse instead of any of the famous songs that came from that. (laughs) So what's a famous song for this that you really remember? So I really loved playing Somewhere Out There on the piano. Yeah, Uh, Somewhere Out There. Definitely, I think, even made it into pop charts. It's honestly one of my favorite songs. Yeah, it's a beautiful song. And it can be a duet. That's Mm -hmm. what I remember. I think that there was something about America... Uh-huh. There's a good American song. Mm-hmm. And a little bit like, I want to be in America. I feel like there is like a ripoff of that song. Yes, in, I think it was this. probably something like that. A I, direct ripoff of West Side Story. I think so. Nice. Yeah, but like seagulls versus mice. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Not sharks and jets, Not seagulls and, and mice. <laughs> well, won't you join us in reliving this? 
true American immigrant's tale as we watch 1986's An American Tale. This holiday season, Universal Pictures brings you a very special motion picture experience. The first animated feature film presented by Steven Spielberg. An American Tale. The story of one family's journey to America and Fievel, their son, who got lost along the way. A Don Bluth film. And we're back. And that was 1986's An American Tale. And uh, Becca, let's get your first impressions. My first impression is uh, I still really like it. Uh-huh. Uh, I, it was a little scary. I'm surprised that yeah. I was able to handle all of that. Uh, just su- It was super dark and there was a lot of potential for death. <laughs> um <laughs> But but I still I as an adult enjoyed it. This movie was surprisingly dark in like the world <laughs> it creates. Like there's so many predators, there's so many dumb decisions that Fifel makes that almost get him killed. There's Which a I lot of death underst- defying going on. A lot yeah. of death defying and a lot of hat loss defying. <laughs> and so, hat lost and finding. Like, we, let's just jump into the biggest issue with this movie. And it is the continuity issue with his with little his, stupid hat. Yeah. He, he, we see, we several times, like, it got to a point where he would just leave a scene, obviously leaving his hat behind. And in the next scene, he's holding the hat. And it got so noticeable that Laura started going, okay. We all saw him put his hat down. It's on the gutter. It's on he the went gutter. Into, he went into the drain, <laughs> and now he doesn't have his hat, but suddenly And then now two he does. scenes later, he has his hat. And we're like, <laughs> like what, the, what the fuck? Where I is this hat coming from? I want to watch this movie step by step and write down every time he loses his hat and every time it reappears. I don't know why I want to do this, but... I blame it on the editors. Yeah. yeah. They should have fixed that in post. Yeah, it's right. rough. <laughs> well, especially considering that the hat is like a central icon yeah. throughout the movie. The hat is the gift his dad gives him for Hanukkah and it's it's trying to it's you know trying to go get his hat he uses his hat as a ploy to get on board the steamship they used to come to America and that is what separates him from his family for the entirety of the movie is this hat but how much did that matter when you were a kid when you saw that I never thought about never cared about continuity uh I just am watching it now being like, okay, where's the hat? But I but I, I just assumed that it was like down his pants or gotta, he had figured out how to how to carry it along. Like I got to I got to call shenanigans on that though. Okay. Because the parent is the one paying for the ticket. The parents got to sit through it too. And if the adults are sitting here being like, this dumb fucking hat thing is like getting ridiculous. Like, come on, try a little bit harder. Well, it just seems like <laughs> this is a cartoon. They could have used cartoon clothing logic to have his hat never <laughs> fall off, right? You know, like think about it. Donald Duck's little sailor hat almost never falls off, right? Even when he's hanging upside down from things, Donald Duck's little sailor hat won't fall off. So the animators purposefully chose when he would take his hat off or his hat would fall off. And then they would not pick up the thread and put the hat back on his head. Well, the other thing I noticed was also that the hats were were um, 
they were expression. They they they, they expressed yeah. a lot. So when somebody was scared, their hat would would shake Wiggle. a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when somebody was running away, their hat would go ahead and bounce back and forth, back onto their head and away, and would defy gravity and whatever, mm-hmm. uh, uh, whatever means it w- was required at that moment. But his but Fievel's hat could just like. So you're telling me that this world has magical hat logic. <laughs> well, you know, right? no, I think Becca's onto something because so early in the movie, the the very first scene, we are in Russia with the the Moskowitzes, and they are living in the home of the Moskowitzes, which is great. And the little village in the in Russia gets attacked by Cossacks, and along with them are Cossack cats who are also wearing the fluffy hat that the Cossacks are known for. And there's like a scene where two cats are both charging at Fievel at the same time and they're kind of burrowing through snow, but their little Cossack hats are bouncing on top it's of true. the snow yes. burrow. Yes, I saw that. Yeah. yeah, it's like just letting you know, psst, underneath the snow is a Cossack cat and his little hat is indicating where he is like a shark's fin. That's funny. So there is a lot of magical hat realism. So they basically, they should have paid more attention to where Fievel's hat was. At all times, given if they were going, se- given how yeah serious they put or how much uh, importance they put on hats. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of hats in this movie. <laughs> um, there is a lot of violence and a lot of scary scenes. I mean the the cats are really never humanized at all until towards the end of the second act when we meet Tiger. And I thought it was really... I loved Tiger. Yeah. I think it's interesting that we meet Tiger almost towards the end of the movie. And I remembered him being a really big part of the movie. But Mm. maybe it's because I know he plays a a big role in Five Goes West. And so maybe I kind of mix them up a little bit. Oh, good, he does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole family and Tiger are in Five Goes West. Okay, so it's not like Home Alone, where I was watching this the entire time and being like... Did Home Alone, like, steal its concept from this? Like, kid gets separated from family? And then I was like, is Fifel Ghost West like Home Alone 2? <laughs> where kid gets separated from family again and other storylines? Lost in I am Arizona. happy that this is not the case. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I think, I think, I mean, it'll be interesting when we do Fifel Ghost West, but I think the whole family decides New York is not for them and that they hop a train out west. And then Tiger just decides to go with them. But, oh, yay. But yeah, so we have that we have the interesting hat situation. <laughs> the uh, the Mouskowitzes an interesting hat also indicates us uh, there are two prominent characters who wear bowler hats, and they are Honest John, the drunk politician mouse. Honest who, John of Tammany Hall. Of Tammany Hall, who's obviously a boss tweed character. And like when we first see him, he's at a wake for a dead mouse whose body we just see. And he's like, oh, that poor boy, he didn't even get to vote, but he'll be voting forever now, and writes in his name in a little book of, like, ghost votes. Yes, the the, the page <laughs> is titled Ghost Votes, and he's writing down another name. I found that so funny, and so, like, this is not something that a kid would ever get. This is not even something that a lot of adults would ever get. That is a very intelligent, like joke about corruption yeah 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 so the thing that's kind of that i think to me what really stands about this movie for me personally is the attention to some historic detail like this movie does even even sort of better than i kind of remembered doing a good job of trying to explain to kids what the european immigration story was like 
because not only do our do our mice flee violence in their home country, but then they have to endure this like really dreadful boat ship ride, which well, a lot. But before even that, they have such a an optimistic view and such a, a just this beautiful. Uh, idea of what America can give and what America can provide and it's not necessarily true but it does actually provide the impotence for them to come to the country um, and I think that that is the other part of this of the story that I didn't realize was so kind of is, is so important to today's dialogue as well. Yeah. I love that specifically there's no cats in America. Yeah, yeah. right. So that, so there's the, no Nazis in America, right? <laughs> so yeah, the, so the America song that we remembered from the from the intro section of the podcast was there's a song called There's No Cats in America. And it's about a bunch of mice listing off how they've lost loved ones to basically terrible cat-related violence in their home t- countries. And here the cats, I think, are supposed to represent various authorities, various government-like government violence on their own people. Yeah. Yeah. And so they sing this song about how excited they are for America. And the the chorus goes, there's no cats in America and the streets are paved with cheese. (laughs) And it's funny because that... Oh my God, I would come to America so fast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so it's this whole rosy glassed uh, view of like what America was like. And boy, do all the mice get kind of slapped in the face with like the reality when they get to America and there are indeed cats... Uh, and crooks and all sorts of and people. And crooked reading. cats. And crooked cats posing as rats. Yeah. <laughs> That's the new rap song. Crooked cats posing as rats. <laughs> yeah, and, and actually speaking of that, he was the other person wearing a bowler hat. There was a we're introduced to a rat who immediately sells Fival to an orphan house to put put him to work. And we later find out that that's actually a cat in disguise, like a kind of a runtish cat who leads a band of cats um, that are just going around murdering mice. There's actually, it's the the wake where we meet Honest John is the kind of the instigating incident that gets all the mice together to be like, we have to do something about these mice. We have to do something about these cats. This is America. But they're not just murdering mice. They are also um, the... The cat rat, the the rat cat, is um, posing as a rat specifically as an intermediary to say, hey, I've like uh, talked to the cats on your behalf, mice, and if you give us this X amount of money, the cats will leave you alone for a week. They're basically the mob. Yeah. yeah. It's cat mob. <laughs> cat, cat mob. And so when they're not killing cats, they're extorting money from said cat. I mean, when they're not killing mice, they're extorting money from said mice in order to maybe not kill mice this week. And we're also introduced to Gussie Mouseheimer. So she's the richest mouse in all of New York City, and she has political sway among the uptown rich folk mice who and she's come downtown to the slums to talk about how now cats are killing indiscriminately and not just the poor which she specifically says this and she has like a speech impediment sort of like barbara walters where she's just makes all w's into r's yeah um okay but for her defense she did sleep in the orphanage towards the very end she w- I, granted she was at the very top but she was sleeping in the slums yeah. with all the other mice she, she was, was committed to the yeah. to the solution that they had they had come up with and the solution they come up with is is where the monster mouse that i was thinking of is they build a <laughs> giant 
essentially sort of like a carnival float with this horrifying face on it of this giant monster mouth. They seem to use the bones of a dinosaur to build the mouse face on top of. Yeah. And then they are able to actually create the jaws and there are little mice inside that are running the jaws. It's pretty rad. Yeah, Yeah. it was very much like Cinderella gothic. Speaking of Cinderella, we have once again have mice in ill-fitting clothing building stuff. (laughs) (laughs) One other thing is, uh, again, going with like the historical accuracy, like when, um, or accuracy, quote unquote, but like the history lesson that's going on in the movie is when Fievel himself arrives alone at Ellis Island, where in the scene previous, all the Mouskowitzes are given new American-sounding names, very much in kind of like a reference to Ellis Island renaming a ton of immigrants. But then when uh, Fievel arrives, he is greeted by Henri Pigeot, who is a French pigeon who claims to be responsible for building the Statue of Liberty. Uh, And the Statue of Liberty is completely shiny copper, which is great, because that's what it would have been for a while. The Statue of Liberty was a very copper, orangey gold color until the sea air turned it green. Do you think that they ever, like, for a period of years, they tried to continue cleaning it so that it would stay copper and then they were just like, fuck it? <laughs> yeah. How much how much tarnish remover would it take to really clean that giant penny? <laughs> that is right, the... Right, right. <laughs> Uh, but I thought that was great. It was a cool, and in the uh, and the statue is still being built when he arrives, and that's actually really appropriate to the timeline. We're we're told at the very opening of the movie that it starts in 1885, and the Statue of Liberty was was officially um, was it open? Uh, it was officially opened in 1886, so mm-hmm. it would have still been under construction when the and Moscow I was and spread. I did really like the symbolism of I I don't know if this actually happened, but I thought that I saw Fievel put in a screw. He did. Yeah. 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 I thought that was really cool. Like Just, immigrants yeah. help build this. Immigrants, we put in screws. We keep, <laughs> we keep things, we're building things. Like, I think that that's the symbolism of that, even though it may have been lost on, on somebody else or my eight-year-old self. I really appreciated that right now. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, so let's get into that. They, the, the, so all of our principal characters are all immigrants of one kind or another. They're all immigrant mice, which now that I'm thinking about it, I actually, I read in a book the other day that mice are not indigenous to North America. Oh. They, they, they were brought over by European settlers. Like we had voles and moles, but we didn't have mice. The common like house and field mice, they all were stowaways on boats from Europe. So like... I don't know if oh, the like, animators had intended that with their little immigrant story, but maybe technically all mice in America are immigrants. I mean, maybe, because if you think about it, they were very on point with the historical references that they did make, so maybe this was all the way down to the nuts and bolts of this, yeah. yeah. All the way down to the little mice. Yeah, the nuts and bolts of the Statue of Liberty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I think that's really interesting that we have a lot of... Like, all of our main characters are all mice, and they're all mice immigrants. We also have Tony, who's, like, a, like he seems like a second-generation Italian immigrant. Yeah. And um, uh, the girl mouse he's he's interested in, who's, like, an Irish mouse. Mm-hmm. She reminded me of the woman from uh, uh, from Newsies, from Anne. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. Yes. I know who you're talking about. I do not remember her name off the top of my head. Considering that we've done Newsies already, there are actually several scenes where I was like, oh, yeah, like Newsies. <laughs> because... Well, similar time period. Yeah, yeah. Tony, Tony's character is very much like, yeah, I think like 20 Christian Bale's yeah. character in Newsies. 
So yeah, when we when we meet Tony, he's in this workhouse for orphans, just like in Newsies, this sort of indentured servitude. And uh, Fievel just comes in and helps all the kids escape right away. And it, it was interesting because it there's all sorts of like little bits and pieces of the immigrant story during this European wave of immigration being told. Uh, we see his family go through. Uh, go through Ellis Island where their names are changed. I, I don't even remember what Tilly's Russian name is, but she's given the name Tilly. And this is around the time Tony starts calling Fievel Philly, which again leads to his family miss, missing him several times. They hear... Except for Tilly. Tilly figured it out. Yes. Tilly is a smart little Just mouse. Just a smart little mouse. That's right. <laughs> I love that girl. Um, the other thing that I thought was a little interesting is... A lot of the characters, there were a lot of characters that were not fully developed. Mm-hmm. They just come in, like you said, um, a cat who comes in like three quarters of the way yeah, through. Yeah, Tiger. Yeah. And yeah, Tiger comes in three quarters of the way through, and Tony is just there to kind of help them escape and be like the streetwise mouse um, and then have the romantic interest. But that was the only romantic interest in the whole yeah in the whole movie right yeah which makes cute secondary characters yeah so he did roll in it was basically like a little stalkery on her and she was into it well yeah it's one that's a whole sort of thing where like if you're attracted to somebody what would be creepy behavior doesn't seem as creepy (laughs) like just staring longingly at you if you're attracted to the person that when when he first met her he was staring into her eyes and the pupils of his you eyes saw, did yeah, the heartbeat they like. Bum, bum, <laughs> bum, yes, bum, bum, yeah. bum. it was very cute. Yes, uh, and and they almost immediately fall for each other, which is real sweet, and are then a sort of like a big sis, big brother to five. They really keep him alive. Literally keep yeah. him alive. Yeah, especially her. Yeah, she did a great job. Um, so we so we have all these stories going on about immigrants and i think the thing that's like really telling is like i remembered that crossover scene uh where they're on the boat and the cramped conditions that all the mice were put into and i think even as a little kid that communicated to me like how difficult and arduous you know in the small way that that an animated film can represent but i remember feeling like oh what a like horrifying like crossover the trip to america would have been um, and it's interesting because America is at the at once shown to be this bright, happy seeming land of opportunity with a seedy underbelly that is dangerous. With the reality of coming here from somewhere else, you know, when you don't really have a lot of resources, it's not, you know, like a lot of people would show up to America. I think it's a great example. We can go back to there. There are no cats in America. You know, a lot of people will come here seeking a quote unquote better life and they would just run into hundreds of thousands of other people doing the same thing. Thus, no, not enough opportunity for everyone. And um, yeah, I found it really interesting that they were pretty good at showing that kind of reality inside of this mouse world. I feel like it, they did a pretty great job of that. Mm-hmm. I think they did a really good job about that. Um, I think that it also really shows how how much sacrifice people yeah. are willing to uh, to put towards their maybe better life or the better life for their children. Mm-hmm. And I think that is something that was really animated very well mm-hmm. in this because it's there because Fievel can 
grow up and be a dentist and <laughs> cure cancer. He could. Uh, but, yeah, just having that um, that opportunity for him and, and trying to give him as many resources as possible. I thought that was really cool. Now I'm just talking about DACA. It's straightforward. Yeah. <laughs> there's, well, no, there's, very, there's a very thin line. Well, yeah, and I think it's really important that this movie is called An American Tale, and yet mm. all of I our protagonists... incredibly important, and I love that they did that. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt no, you, no, but no. I just want to say, like, I never realized that. Yeah, it's an American today. tale, and it's an immigrant's tale, and every one of our heroes is an immigrant. Um, and I think every one of our characters is an immigrant. Right? Well, I mean, the cats could yeah, arguably we don't know be where the cats indigenous New Yorkers, <laughs> you know. And given the fact that there was a hostile environment waiting for a lot of immigrants in New York from, you know, like this, this sort of like American jingoism that we're having to deal with writ large in 2017 was alive and well in a different uh-huh. form in 1885 that was being used against the Polish and the Irish and the Jews. Um, this or sort the of, Italians. Or the Italians. Or, yeah. or pretty much anybody who wasn't of the British Greeks. descent yeah. was being like told that, no, 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 we are a former British colony. We only want English-speaking whites here. Well, then they all banded together. Yeah. They're kind of unionized. Right. Well, it, all the immigrants all got right, together right, and were right, like, right. hey, hey, hey. Um, and... And it's interesting just to see how they were able to all kind of come together because they all had this, like, common dream, the American dream, that America would be a place where they could all, like, have success. Yeah. Um, And I don't know if I said this before, but that idea of uh, showing a story from 1885 through the lens of a mouse from 1986, and then now we're in 2017, and kind of going through the same thing, and... and, uh, it feels like a like we're just going through a tumble dry and <laughs> yeah. how like how can we how can we get out of that right how do we treat immigrants now whether or not they're uh, children or, or or adults or Jewish or Mexican or El Salvadorian whatever how do we how do we treat them yeah right I think it does a, a one thing I think it specifically focuses on is like the fact that all of the mice come from uh, like Europe and Eurasia, and so they are all essentially some form of like of white Europeans represented as mice. But to see that they are themselves the subjects of like fear and xenophobia because they are coming from a non-American place or um, a non-English speaking place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they conveniently all speak English in this movie, but they all come from somewhere that is not America uh, and and face difficulty as soon as they get here. Uh, there's like a, there's several short montage scenes where Fievel's trying to find his family, and there's one scene where he peers into this little school for mice where you see some American mice pledging allegiance to the flag, and he can't go in there. It's this very, the look on his face is like, oh. He presses oh. his nose up to the glass. It's so cute. <laughs> yeah, and he has this look on his face like, oh, I'm, I'm not one of them. Like, I don't belong in there. And Steven Spielberg, the the co-creator and producer of this movie, said that that was a scene from a real story that his grandfather had told him about when he came to the United States in this same wave of Jewish immigration, and they wouldn't wouldn't allow Jews in public schools. They had to set up special schools for just Jewish kids. Um, and it's was it, that in New York? And then yeah, in New wow. York. So they would set up like in the in like Queens. 
um, or Astoria, they would just set up Jewish schools for Jewish immigrants because uh, the Jewish immigrants just weren't allowed to go to school. And so I think it's I think it's really important that a movie like An American Tale not only gets made, but I kind of wish it could be shown re-released into theaters now, re-shown now, so that people would realize that coming to America has been difficult for just about anyone who's ever come here. And and yet we are all, in general, thankful <laughs> that our ancestors came here because we get to live in a place as, um, you know, as exciting and with as many opportunities as America does have. This is definitely one of the movies I most wanted to do this podcast for. An American Tale is a movie that I really loved when I was a kid, and but I really haven't seen since I was like seven or eight. And to go back and watch it and to see that the, the animation style that the Don Bluth company did is still beautiful, and the, the music is still catchy and fun, and the, the attention to detail in the animation is a sign from the hats, a sign from him losing his hat all the time. Well, one of the things that I noticed is I was thinking about The Lion King um, and how expressive the ears can be as well. And I think that this may have been one of the first times that they started using ears, basically like eyebrows. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In a way to express how somebody is feeling or, or, or looking for somebody and their ears go up. It's really cute because mm-hmm. they're trying to find, because he was trying to find his father. Um, yeah, I thought that that was something that was interesting in terms of the animation. I mean, there is also one thing in terms of continuity that we haven't covered, and it's the fact that their baby just disappears. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, you guys. <laughs> That, that if the baby died. Like, we don't know what happened to the third Mouskowitz child. He, the ba- baby was here when they arrived in America. And is never seen again. Yeah, they seen, like, did they just forget him in their hunt for Feifel? Did they just love him more? Like, that's awkward. I don't know. I, I hope it's not some cautionary tale about how high infant mortality was at this time. I mean, maybe it is. Like, that's a really good point. This is a very... <laughs> You know, they did, as far as an animation goes, they did a very good job with um, keeping with time period. And uh, so maybe. <laughs> Baby is probably working in a sweatshop, like Already. in a factory. Uh. Yeah, it's, I mean, this movie takes place in like 1885, 1886, and child labor laws aren't put into effect for at least another 15, 20 years. Baby got to go into the sweatshop and make that money for the family. That's what was going on. No one else was working except for the infant. Oh, well, back then, babies could make so much money. Right? Yeah. It's probably like the writers have lost at some point. They're like, I, we can't, we can't handle this baby. Let's just, let's just get rid of the baby. And, yeah. And, no yeah. more talking about the baby. No more talking. Yeah. So like, yeah, there'd be some Or the like, mad men, like whatever happened to Peggy's baby. Eh, it's not important. <laughs> By the end of the show, you completely forgot that Peggy has had Pete's baby and that baby is somewhere. And if this had been a series, if this had been a television series, then that would have been a great idea. This movie was followed by a sequel, uh, American Tale, Fievel Goes West, and I, I look forward to watching it now. I, I hope it has an interesting, lots of interesting facts about what American frontier at the end of the 1800s mm-hmm. was like. Ooh. Maybe we can invite Ms. Cousineau back to watch the sequel at some point. Oh, I'd love it. Yeah! So I guess we come to our title question, Do I Still Love It? Becca Cousineau. How do I rate this? Yeah. Thumbs up, thumbs down? No, you say whether or not you still love it. Yes, I do. <laughs> I do. Yeah. It's on a scale of, of hate to like to love. So, yeah. okay. 
So pass yeah. fail basically. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Somewhere between like and love. All right. Yeah. Nice. Uh, I think I definitely love it. Uh, like really, the continuity with the hat aside, I was really enjoying. I was really enjoying the whole thing from beginning to finish, and I really loved all the little details that like just sewed history in there without having to be like, and now for some exposition of what America was like at the time. They just kind of showed you, and if you're not paying attention, fine. It's really not that important to the story. But if you do know a little bit about history, there's a lot of fun little history bits in there. Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah. You know, I I will say that it was maybe a little scarier than I anticipated. Oh, the Monster Mouse is just as scary as Monster I remember it Monster Mouse didn't scare me. The two <laughs> the two almost death scenes with Fifel scared me. Well, you know, you remember when the actual uh, ocean turned yeah. into a human and was just trying yeah. to pound oh, yeah. like oh, King yeah, Triton, like, like came yeah, out like of the Poseidon, destro- like trying to destroy the boat and stuff. Yeah, it was pretty intense. That that scared the crap out of me. Yeah. And I was heartbroken that entire time because I did not know if the dad was going to live. Oh. I figured that Fifa was going to live because he's our main character, but I did not remember if the dad was going to live. And I was just like, if Fifa and his stupid adventuring ended up getting his dad killed 10 minutes into this movie, I am not <laughs> going to be able to handle this. But that is not what happened. Thankfully Too much Game of Thrones that you're watching. Yeah, yeah exactly. But... This movie did scare me a little bit more than I anticipated. Yeah. Uh, but it was very great film. Yeah, it definitely, I mean, this is from the people who made Land Before Time. Definitely check out our Land Before Time episode. But that one, equally beautiful in animation, equally scary with scary moments of truly monstrous enemies. Equally strong in its messaging about accepting others. Yeah. Actually. I'm, now it makes me really curious. Do all the Don Bluth films have like a really deep social message? Because the Lamp Before Time was all about accepting others for their differences. And this movie is all about how the immigrant story is like this sort of universal story. Mm-hmm. Well, Littlefoot and Sarah were also kind of uh, immigrants, weren't they? <laughs> <laughs> well, they were definitely different races. They were the original immigrants. Well, right. I mean, going to the Valley of the yeah. Trees. Oh, yeah. Or what are they? Oh, the Great they're, Valley. The Great Valley. Yeah. Yeah. They're just immigrating to a better place. And that yeah. better place is the Great Valley, where the streets are paved with cheese. Yum. <laughs> Uh, well, I'd very much like to thank Becca Kuzno for being our guest this week. Thank you, Becca. Thank you, guys. It was really fun. Yay! Can I do a congratulations for the engagement? Sure. All right. Sure. Congratulations okay. for your engagement, you guys. Oh, secret. Cat's out of the bag. Cat's out of the bag. But there are no um, cats in America, so yeah. I don't know where that cat came from. Mouse came out of the bag. Yeah. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Your hosts are now affianced. Uh, oh, man. <laughs> please check us out. Uh, follow us on iTunes. You can subscribe on there or on the Google Play Store or on Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to rate and review us uh, and share the podcast with a friend, someone who's nostalgic and loves pop culture. We should be a hit with them. Uh, and also follow us all over the place. We're at Do I Still Love It on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and all all the good places. Join the community and tell us what movies you want to hear reviewed on the show. And that about does it for this week. I'm Marshall James. And I'm Laura Weiss. This is where I say I'm Becca Cousineau. <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> Saying, well, there are no cats in America and the streets are paved with cheese. Well, there are no
Bye.